again. And uh, my name is Josh. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. And today we have uh, Glenn Blossom with us. Why don't you go ahead and join me, Glenn? Come on up and uh, introduce introduce Glenn to you. Glenn is uh, you were a free church pastor on the East Coast. Is that correct? Tell us a little bit about about who you are, Glenn, so that people can can know a little more about you. Just maybe your background in ministry and what you're up to these days. Sure, sure. I uh, was born and raised in Michigan. I am a Midwesterner, which, by the way, is that. (laughs) And uh, I was uh, born as a uh, preacher's kid, uh, however, without a father. Uh, My dad died eight and a half months before I was born. And uh, my mom was a widow for eight years. And when I was uh, seven, she remarried another pastor. So uh, he pastored in Michigan, and I was raised then in uh, Alma, St. Louis, Michigan, on over to Hastings, Michigan, on up to Hart, Michigan, on over to Vassar, Michigan. So you weren't kidding back about to, like, the Otsego, whole I was not kidding. I can tell you exactly <laughs> where it is on this. In fact, on the East Coast, I was there one day at a restaurant, and I looked over, and I saw, with a person with me, I saw a guy go like this, and I said, that guy's from Michigan. <laughs> Uh, and uh, wound up in, had graduated from Otsego High School and went to Cornerstone University. And then I went to Michigan State University for a year of master's work in philosophy. Spent three years as an assistant pastor at uh, South Baptist Church in Lansing. Married my wonderful wife, Kay, in 1971. And we headed out to the East Coast where I went to Westminster Seminary. After graduating from there, spent uh, 26 years at one church outside of Philadelphia. And from there, went up to Staten Island, New York for four years, up to North Jersey at an evangelical free church for nine years. And then I am now trying to figure out whether I'm retired or unemployed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> well, Glenn, we're, we're glad to have you here. And I've enjoyed getting to know Glenn through a group of area free church pastors. Uh, he comes and joins us uh, for most of the time. And so it's been fun uh, just to get to know you great little by little there. and great excited to, to have you here this morning. So why don't sure. you welcome Glenn. With great, you. great. Thank you. And it has been as much my privilege and pre- pleasure to uh, get to know Josh little by little and increase in that and this morning the opportunity of being with you. I would like to invite your attention this morning, if you would, to the book of the Psalms and the 32nd chapter, Psalm 32. And out of respect for that word of God, I would like to invite you to stand with me as I read that psalm through. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, whose iniquity, blessed is the one whose iniquity is uh, not counted against him, and in whose spirit there is no duplicitous or guile. For when I was silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength dried up as by the heat of summer, or otherwise said, my vitality was changed. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And do you forgave my iniquity immediately? Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they will not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with the shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way in which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Don't be like a horse or a mule without understanding, 
which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all of you who are upright in heart. Heavenly Father, in these moments together, it is my prayer that you will help me to be clear, help me in that clarity to speak only your truth. And may I, even in this time, speak what it is that you would say to me, to this church. And I pray for these, your people, and those who have come to hear. I pray that you would give them ears. And that you would, by your grace, speak your mercy into their lives. That they should joy in you and in the salvation that you have given through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What an ideal. Wouldn't it be great to live in a country like that? <laughs> But one of the problems with that is in definition. What is life? What truly is liberty? And where is happiness to be found? Recently, I was reading a report of uh, someone who said, uh, a noted person who said, what's wrong with holding a grudge? Why forgive somebody? Holding on to those things keeps you sane. Now that's one way to look at it. <laughs> In fact, that ends up being the problem that came as a result of the Garden of Eden. It is what the book of Judges says over and over and over again. Everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. Or, as a famous philosopher said, man is the center of all things. I sat in an adult education class one time and listened to the professor say that every person is the center of their own world. And therefore, if sense is to be made, if deliverance is to be found, it is within you. In opposition to that, diametrically opposed to that, is the teaching of God's word that would basically tell us what I pray often and always, God, save me from me. You don't need me, and I don't need you. We need the necessity of our lives is found in needing the living and true God. Therefore, last Sunday, as you heard, the gateway to the Psalms is Psalm 1. And it speaks about basic condition of man, of woman, of people, of God's creation. We are either blessed or we are under the curse. We are either walking in happiness or ultimately, we are attempting to create our own happiness, which is to walk under condemnation. We are either free, or we are in bondage. Or as the Bible says, we are either 
righteous or we are sinners. Now that's, that's an interesting thing. Because now we come in this same book of the Psalms to find out from David himself, who is a man with plenty of experience, to be instructed on the way of blessing. The way of blessing of being outside of taken from under the curse. The way of blessing of living a life that is truly free. Again, the struggle that we have is on this whole issue of freedom, even in church, don't we? Because we want to struggle in this thing of free will versus sovereignty of God. And we want somehow to exert our independence. We want to believe that we can stand back and decide who is God and who is not God. I want this freedom. But the problem is, is where has that freedom led us? Where would we be without a God who raises the dead, without a God who makes the blind to see. Go through the scriptures and find out what the condition of every one of us is by nature. And what is it? Dead in trespasses and sins, who having ears don't hear, who having eyes don't see. That becomes the descriptor of a person who, as this David says, in sin, my mother conceived me. I think often of uh, the many children that I've had the opportunity of being a part in their dedication service, and the parents come forward with these sweet little cherubs. And I, I remember that, uh, especially the opportunity that I had with some of my own grandchildren. And they brought forth that, that grandchild, little Peyton, and I held her in my arms and I looked at her and I said, you know, look at this sweet, adorable, wonderful, gifted sinner. Because that's, that's what we begin with. That's what we begin as. I am the child of Lucy and Glenn Blossom who were sinners, who were parented by Iva and Seth Blossom, who were sinners, who were parented by Chauncey and Abigail Blossom, who were sinners, who were, who were, who were, who were of Adam and Eve, who were sinners. And I am that by nature, and I am that by what we call imputation or the reckoning. Now, is there any hope? Is there then any true freedom? Is there to be found any happiness? And you know, one of the problems with us is, is that we often immediately kind of curl back when we hear the word sin because that we think that any message on sin is going to leave us dragging out of here. If so, then we've totally missed Psalm 32. Because as you'll note it, it begins with blessing and it ends with singing and joy. The gospel is not good news if it doesn't deliver me, if it doesn't get me out of here, if it doesn't change me. And the gospel is good news. So I would like for you this morning quickly, to sing with me this song. It's a song, and we're going to look at all of its stanzas. There are about six of those stanzas that are found there. The first stanza tells us that happiness comes from being pure or being clean. Now again, Think about that for a moment in the context of what we are told in our world. 
Happiness comes from being clean. Whereas our world says happiness comes from doing whatever you want to do. Freedom. But true freedom is in being clean. I was made to live in unity with God. That is what the creation is all about, and that is what the recreation is all about. For we are told in the book of 2 Corinthians that God was in Christ reconciling, bringing back into righted relationship the world. So Jesus bears our sins so that we might take on a rightness with God. And that's now then the theme that is uttered by these first two verses. Blessed, happy. Now some people say that God didn't make us to be happy. He makes us to be holy. He doesn't want us primarily to be happy. He wants us to be holy. That is not true. He wants us to be happy. But he defines what happiness is, and he defines the way of happiness. And Psalm 32 is not, as a penitential psalm, a prayer. It is an instruction. It is God telling us the way to blessedness. And the first thing that he sets out is the beauty, the wonder, the glory of being blessed, of God freeing us. Notice what he says. And he uses four different words to describe sin, which is the lack of conformity, the definition, often the theological definition of sin, is a lack of conformity to the law, moral law of God in our deed, in our disposition, and in our state. A lack of conformity. Sin is doing that which does not conform with what God would do. With who God is and with what God does. Started not day one, but it started early on when Adam and Eve made the decision that they would determine, they would be gods to themselves, they would sit in the control seat, they would see, sit at the master control, and they would, in their decisions, determine what was right and what was wrong, who was right and who was wrong, and that they then would forge the path for rightness. And they sinned. Now, there are four words that are used there for sin. You'll notice them in verses 1 and 2. One of the words is transgression, which is to overstep the boundaries. The second one is sin, which is to miss the mark. The, the third is iniquity, which is egregious acts, acts of evil. And the fourth one in verse 2, you'll find, is the word guile or duplicitous. It means not to be integral, not to be whole. It now divides into two. It is that that Jesus confronts when Jesus talks about blessedness in the Beatitudes, when he said, blessed are the pure in heart, which is blessed are those who are single in the drive of their lives, that their heart is one, it is not divided, it is pure or it is holy. Now the psalmist is saying that freedom, happiness, Joy 
is found when your sins are covered. When your transgressions are, in fact, cleansed. When your iniquities are done away with. When your guile is not there. When you are whole. That is the happy person. That is the person whose conscience lets him sleep at night without waking up in the middle fraught, worried, burdened underneath it. The happy person, the happy person is the person who is free. And Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So you see, the psalmist is not saying, happy is the person who is himself. God save me from me. Happy is the person, rather, who has had a work with God and knows the work of God in their lives to change them from what they are to bring them back to what he has created them to be. That is the happy person. The person who lives within that God-ordained creative opportunity, purpose, desire in life. That is the happy person. Ah, to be free. Who doesn't want to be free? Every person here this morning shares that we want to be free. But our freedom is not found in the continued bondage to ourselves and our selfishness, to our definitions, or to the power of the evil one who gives himself against God. Freedom is found in restoration, in the recovery and the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And that person, not working for it, but simply believing it, trusting it, that person is blessed, is fulfilled, is free, is clean. Now, go on with me to the next stanza. Because it's an interesting one. It is the way most people respond in verses 3 and 4. When he says, my natural proclivity is in this drive for freedom to hide what I really am. It is to look right. And it is as best as possible within me to be right. That's righteous. And so the psalmist, David, who knows full well about this, did everything that he could because the root of this psalm ultimately comes from his experience of 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, the sin with Bathsheba and the killing of Uriah, her husband. He let his lust take control. He let his power and his pride rule. He was the king. He could have whatever he wanted. When someone asked Bill Clinton, why it was that he did what he did with Monica Lewinsky, he answered, because I could. He had the power, and he lived in the pride of his lust, which is exactly where all of us live, in our maybe smaller worlds, but it's where each of us are. 
we get away with whatever we think we can do and it supports the image of ourselves. And so in that, here is the psalmist who said, this is how I lived life. I stayed silent. You can ignore it. You can deny it. You can defend it. And you find yourself in the commonness of our human nature. That's what we do with our sin. So some of us today are struggling with our consciences, more than likely most, if not all of us are, over some areas of our lives. Sins that we have committed that are so deep within us that we know what the songwriter meant when he said, dark is the stain that we cannot hide, but we spend our lives trying to hide it. We spend our lives saying that it really wasn't that bad, or they really didn't understand me, or it's after all, it was simply like everybody else does, science, uh, sowing their, their oats, their wild oats. That's just what it, the way it is with life. But look at what the psalmist says. You deny it, and God will make you miserable. Now, psychology perhaps might come in with its voice to say it's just a natural happening. Look at what this psalmist said. God's hand was heavy on me. He convicted me. He dug down and put it deep within me. He gave me unrest. Talk about the foaming sea. And we sit in our pews and we sit in our suits or our shorts or whatever it may be that you're wearing with the smile and the look that all is well. But in our hearts is the battleground, is the place of struggle where sin has such a grip and a hold on us. Perhaps it's our pride. Perhaps it's our moral behavior. Perhaps it's the embezzlement, the cheating. Perhaps it's the lying, the stealing. Perhaps it's the envy. Perhaps it's the hate. That, that person that first comes to our mind when we think of opposition. That thing that just will not let us go. And it has so gripped us. And we can't get over it. And the problem with all of that is, is that it becomes us. It rules us. It changes it becomes our identity. It controls us. Because you see, the wages of sin is death. The Bible tells us in the book of John that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. It is a choice to nurture, to hold on to, to believe in the end that we can't live without it, to be sucked in and so deceived to think that this is our destiny. And we learn to live with the limp. We learn to live with the disease. We learn to live with the mental framework and it destroys us. Do you know how much is spent on psychosomatic drugs? 
how much is spent on psychotherapy, how much is done in the whole world of the mind and changing or rectifying. And so often, so often the answer, the answer may be in a drug or the answer is more often in changing the law. Don't live up to the law. Don't live under the law, but change the law. That becomes the, because again, it becomes a part of our identity and all of a sudden we are making the world fall in line with us in conformity with the way we think, with the way we define, with the way we judge, and everyone becomes ultimately a God to themselves. And God's hand makes us miserable. In fact, what the psalmist is saying here is, is you cover up your sin. You do whatever you can to deny it, to ignore it, to defend it. And God is going to make you reap what you sow. The seed is going to spring into its life. It will take on a life of its own in you. It will control your thinking. It will control where you go, how you speak, who you talk to, who you don't talk to. It will control your attitude. It will control your future. It will rule over you because God is not going to let you go. His hand is heavy upon you. But now, move to the change that takes place in David in verse 5. And this is ultimately what God is saying. Verses 3 and 4, you hide it, God will bring it to light. You confess it, and God will cover it. What an alternative. That's the good news. That's the hope. Because you don't have to bear your sin. The understanding is is that all of us are sinners. Deny that and you deny God. Deny that and you deny the love of God. Deny that and you deny the grace of God. Deny that and you deny the hope of God. Deny that and you deny the deliverance of God. Fess up. We're sinners. Sinners who are full of all sorts of sins. It's not just one thing. It was Paul who said, in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. All have sinned. Get used to it. God is not changing your view of who you are. He is changing you so that you will be something different. His deliverance is to take you from and put you in and into. So what does the psalmist say? In verse 5 he says that I acknowledged my sin to you. I confessed. Not just I admitted. I confessed. I let it all out. I took a serious look at myself and I said, Glenn Blossom, you are a sinner. You are a liar. You are a cheat. You are a luster. You are a hater. You are one who wants in your pride to be your own God and for everyone else to fall down and live like that around you. This is what you are. I confessed my sin. I acknowledged my sin to you. And notice 
it's interesting in verse 5 that he takes those three words for sin that are found in verses 1 and 2. Your iniquity, your sin, your transgression. I laid it all out. I laid my duplicitousness. I laid my guile. I laid my two ways of living, good and bad, out to you so that I could be reunited with you, so that I could be made whole again, so that I could live at peace and in unity with you. I acknowledge my sin to you. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And I love this next phrase because it's almost like even before I do it, It is so immediate, it is so instant, it is so quick. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You you forgave the sinfulness of my sinfulness. That word is, and I, I love that here, it is that you lifted it off me. You took the burden away from me. No longer is there a condemnation. No longer do I need fear and dread. No longer do I need to live in reaction and under the control of. You lifted it off me. You covered it as far as the east is from the west. So far you removed my transgressions from me. You covered it over. You atoned for it. In your justice you provided a way that I didn't have to do. All that I had to do was to say, God, I'm the sinner. And you forgave me for Jesus' sake. Do you see how stupid we are? (laughs) Really, do you see how stupid we are? We spend our lives fighting that in a moment he could free us. We spend our lives under guilt and shame that in a moment we could be cleaned. In a moment. It isn't now I'm going to take you through this process of recovery. I'm free. I'm free. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus came forth. To the blind, see, and he saw. To the deaf, hear, and they hear. To those who could not speak, his tongue was loosened and he could speak. It's immediate. You're free. Free from the sins of the past. Free from the burden and from the shame. You are free. It isn't an issue of how other people look at you. It's an issue of how God looks at you. That's the one who rules our lives. That's the one who defines our lives. That's the one who guards and guides our lives. It's God. Free at last. Free at last. In a moment. Forgiven. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've not even come to grips with the fact that you need to be cleansed. (laughs) You think you're okay. In fact, that's the way most of the world thinks because ultimately, when you ask the question, why should God let you into my heaven? He asks. And you answer, I find that most people will say, well, my good outweighs my bad. (laughs) What I have done makes me acceptable with God. Wrong answer. My hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly, solely lean on Jesus' name. In Christ alone. Period. 
period, period. No more to be said, period. So much so that Paul in the book of Romans chapter 4 quotes this very passage of scripture and says, you see, it's God's work. It's not your work. It's God's work. It's what the Lord has done. And with Abraham, we believe God and it is accounted to us for righteousness. Cleansing right standing with God. And so now we come to the fifth stanza. Therefore, therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer. That's where it's found. It's found in that intimacy with God. It's found in that time when God speaks to you and you say, yes, Lord. Or you see, intimacy with God is our only true shelter. It is our only true drive-through wash sand. It's our only true way of cleansing. When he speaks, and what does he say? that the waters will not overtake us. All that Satan would have to say in the presence of God will mean nothing. Because you see, if God is for us, who can be against us? You know, one of the great truths that the Christian often lets go of is is that God is for you. (laughs) God really is for you. So much so that he came on your side to bring you from your side to his side. God is for you. So much so that we can be persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels or principalities or powers or things present or things to come or heights or depths or any other creature shall ever, ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Abraham believed God and God reckoned him as righteous and as the father of faith and of the faithful whoever believes him shall not perish but will have life everlasting now that's life the blessed life the life of God is given to us now notice that next stanza don't kick <laughs> I'm in a farming enough community, I think, to say, and I say this guardedly, I do not say this irreverentially, don't be a jackass. Isn't that what he says there? Don't be a mule. Don't be a mule. Don't keep going as though you think you can handle it. You can't. And why? when he gives you a free ride through his grace in the love of Jesus through his cross. You see, to make little of your sin is to make little of Christ. To make little of your sin is to make little of grace. To make little of your sin is really to say, I don't need God. You know what Jesus said? I've not come for the well. I've come to bring sinners to faith. I've come not for the righteous, but for sinners. And when you confess your sins, You stand in the radiance of the grace, of the goodness, of the mercy of God. When you deny your sin, when you defend yourself from sinfulness, when you ignore your sin, you put yourself in the darkness of God's heavy hand upon you. 
So you'll see the last few verses. Fly to Jesus. Fly to God. Sing that his love surrounds you. Sing of his faithfulness. Joy in your salvation. Bask in the sun of righteousness. Enjoy. Be happy. Be blessed. Be free. Be clean. And sing it. Let freedom sing. Uh, not long ago, my second cousin, my cousin's child, came to take care of the effects of her father, who was the last in their line to die, pass away. And I was invited up to the house and went there in Vassar, Michigan, and in the midst of going through the papers and the effects and the things that were left, the mementos and things like that, Amazingly, in the goodness of God, in the grace of God, I came across an envelope that was addressed to my cousin's parents, my uncle and aunt. And that handwriting looked familiar because I'd seen it before. Not that document, but I'd seen that handwriting before. With trembling hand, I opened it and I took the letter out and it was a letter to my uncle and aunt from my real natural father. And in that letter, I'll not forget, he says, Dear Claire and Thelma, and he speaks some words, and then he says this, I've been saved. He'd been cleansed. As a single guy, he had lived kind of a wild life all over in Michigan, different places. But he came under the hearing of the gospel, of the good news that Jesus died for sinners. And he believed. And his favorite song, sung at his funeral, was this. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. He came to the point with all of that baggage and all of that garbage where he said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Save me for Jesus' sake. I don't deserve it. I'm not headed that way. But God, I ask that you would intervene. I ask, oh God of mercy, I believe that Jesus Christ on his cross died in my place for my sins. And he was free. Wow, Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain flows to all a healing stream, flows from Calvary's mountain. Ah, the fount. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood beneath that blood, lose all of their guilty stains. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. You have in your hands, I hope, a piece of paper. As light as that paper is, I would like for you, perhaps even right now, to thoughtfully Take the heaviness of your heart. Take the burden of your conscience and consciousness. Take that thing that you've been thinking about as I've been speaking. 
that hate, that envy, that greed, that controlling sin in your life and confess it. Now that may want some of you to move a little further away so nobody can look over your shoulder at what you're going to write down. Okay, You don't want anybody to see it. In fact, you're even worried about putting it down, aren't you? Confess it. Put it down. Put it down. Find a pencil someplace. Ask for to borrow a pencil. You may know what it is. Because then there's something else that I would like for us to do this morning. And, and I mean, let's do it here and now, just in these moments together. What is it that is God's heavy hand on you? What's the cause of that? Where's the root of that? Maybe you've gone to counselors, but you haven't put it out there. You haven't called it what it is. You haven't fessed up. And this morning you need to do that. God has spoken to you. Only if God has spoken to you, if he's burdened you, if you've identified it. And this morning you see that God is ready, willing, able, because of the cross of Christ, you would receive his grace and his mercy. You would confess it, let go of it, put it out there, write it down, write it down. And then up at the front here, we have uh, two shredders, one here and one over here. Now the reason I like shredders is because they decimate whatever it is that I wanted to be gone. Do you know what the Bible tells us? Love is a shredder. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Do you know that God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son so that he might be just and the justifier to be able to cleanse us through the blood of Christ. So that if we confess, he shreds it. It's gone. It's gone. That blemish, that thing out there that you struggle to hide, that you attempt to atone for with your life, it's still there. Until you confess, and when we confess, he shreds, he frees, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I, this morning, would like to invite you to confess. I would like to invite you to identify it, put it out there, speak it to him, and then in the quietness, we're just going to spend a few moments in this, in the quietness, move from where you are and come up and Put it in the shredder. See him, sense him, know that he has buried it, covered it, cleansed it, forgiven it, and let him lift it off so that you can say, I'm free. I'm free. So in the quietness of this moment, we'll take just a few moments. I encourage you, if there's something you've been able to identify, some sin that you know is there, sin of pride, a sin of hate, a sin of anger, a sin of lust, a sin of greed, whatever it may be, you know what it is better than I. 
put it out, fess it up, and then take it to the shredder of God's grace and say, I'm free. I'm going to give us some moments of quietness now to do that. Wherever you are, if you wish, write it down, bring it up, and shred it. Let love overcome your misery. Let grace overcome your filth, your burden. Say, God, here it is. So long I had searched for life meaning, enslaved by the word, the world, and my greed. Then the door 
of the prison was opened by love, for the ransom was paid. I am free. I am free from the fear of tomorrow. I am free from the guilt of the past, for I've traded my shackles for the glorious song. I'm free. Praise the Lord. Free at last. Confession is an act of faith. Confession is believing God. It is not meritorious. It is mercy. And in that moment, you're clean. It's over, free, at last.